Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. the record yeah we had there we go you had me on Um, something that's all i know but yes we did now we are the pace labs podcast we got we've our three guests in you were our third guest we had the amazing chase elliott we've had tony breidinger and now for our third guest is the wonderful steven malozzi how are you doing good how are you i mean honestly that's a pretty prestigious list right there i'm I'm... (laughs) it's one hell of a list man and i'm so honored to have you join it because uh, you have had a definitely a, a wild past, I would say a couple of weeks, but really a couple of months uh, because of how this, um, you know, latest. Obviously, I've you know known you for a few years now. I know a lot of your uh, life events that you've had in the racing world and things like that. But a lot more people have gotten to know you these last few weeks um, as you've kind of been known as now the an Outback employee turned Outback race truck driver at Bristol Motor Speedway. So first of all, before we kind of get into the big deets of it. Um, how was that experience? How was racing uh, in the Bristol night race on a Thursday night? Um, and what what can you kind of take away from that experience and kind of what that whole week was? So a few things. One, the crowd at Bristol was crazy compared to, to the other truck races I've done. There were a lot of people there. Um, and that was pretty sweet. That was um, really cool. And I feel like we got a good amount of applause for starting last, <laughs> which was, you know, uh, pretty sweet. Um, but also, like, Bristol, I don't remember the last time I was truly afraid behind the wheel of a race car. And, like, Bristol's actually a scary racetrack. Like, it is yeah. on edge. It is go, go, go. And it is constant. I think part of that was because maybe we were kind of slow. That might have played a role in it because um, there were, there was always people going around us. Um, but at the end of the day, um, it was it was it was a badass experience. Bristol's one of those places you always dream of. It's you know probably one of the five most prestigious tracks in all of NASCAR, and, and to get to race there is pretty crazy. You know, now I just basically have to knock off Daytona. Probably Talladega would be a good one to knock off, but racing at Bristol was 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 badass. It was really cool. Yeah, I think this is real cool for you because I know when you finally when you got that first start when you were telling me a few years ago um, about how your goal was to just at least run a race, you know, yeah. and you got that opportunity finally in mid Ohio, you know, with Josh Riome, you're able to run that race, and now kind of this year coming out here and kind of feels like you're checking off uh, bucket list items, you know, you got to race at Martinsville, uh, you ran the Tricky Triangle over there at Pocono. Um, and now you get to run the Bristol night race. And like you said, Daytona, Talladega on the horizon. This is something like a few years ago that you even would have thought was possible. No, no. And I, I know you and I have talked extensively about it and at this point, talked to a lot of people about it. Um, but at the end of the day, when I retired from kart racing, I thought I was done. Like I, I didn't ever see a way for me to get back into it. Um, especially with how expensive racing is uh, and like 
to be frank, COVID kind of saved my racing career. Um, it allowed me to to allocate my resources in a way that that investing in the stock market made me a, a good chunk of change. And as a college kid who had a who had a good amount of money from Virginia, got a full ride to Temple, I felt comfortable spending all of that money, knowing I had a backup plan in law school, um, on racing. And that's kind of what allowed me to do all this late model stuff. And then you know, obviously through all the networking I've done over the course of my racing career and, and my working career, I've been able to find sponsors throughout that have, that have supported my stock car NASCAR career. Um, if you had told me three years ago, that going into the end of the 23 season, I would have not one, not two, not three, not four, but five NASCAR truck series starts and full approval to do the whole schedule. Uh, I, I'd say you're lying out of your ass and uh, you're just making that up. Um, so to be here and, and not only that, have run pretty well at all the tracks we finished. I, I mean, we were not that bad at Martinsville. We were definitely not the slowest truck at the track. We were probably faster than five or six on speed, which is great considering it was my second truck start. Um, we finished 24th at Pocono and we we were not that slow. We had a good piece at Gateway, shockingly, and um, just the battery issue killed us. Um, we finished 22nd at Mid-Ohio, and I think Bristol was our first real disappointing run based on pure speed. I mean, we just did – there's no other way to put it. We did not anything at Bristol. It was it was really just stay out there and run all the laps and learn, um, which I felt like was a combo of a lack of experience. And, and you know, I don't feel like the truck was there either for me. Um, and Josh actually apologized to me after the race. It was like, hey, I, I don't feel – I feel like we let you down. I'm like – Buddy, there, jo Josh has done so much for me in my career. There is nothing he could possibly do to let me down at this point. Because the only reason I've ever existed in the realm of NASCAR is because of what Josh Raymond has done for me. Um, but it was really disappointing because we go through all this PR. We get all this great outback press. We get, you know, Kenny Wallace and Bob Pockers is tweeting about it. And Jeff Gluck is tweeting about it. And Clint Boyer is tweeting about it. And Sports Illustrated writes an article and Toby Christie writes an article and, that, and and it's up and down the internet. Stephen Malazzi, Outback Steakhouse. We kind of shit the bed. And that kind of upsets me because I feel like that was the race I really wanted to show people we got it. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, it, 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 I think, you know, getting to run the race and all the PR was amazing. I think it definitely, like you said, it kind of makes up for it. Um, what the race probably was and kind of speaking how Josh Riome, you know, all he's done for, for you and your career, which I think is really cool. Kind yeah. of the partnership that you guys have built, um, you know, going back for, for so long, whether it, you know, was, was uh, when you were running late models, when you were running now in the truck series, when you guys were at Chuck E. Cheese, I mean, there's so many, so <laughs> many great stories, um, <laughs> you know, but uh, <laughs> that Chuck E. Cheese trip is integral to my racing career because that was from Knoxville and Josh had asked me cause he needed somebody to ride with him. And RBR was, was a little short staffed at that time too, but he needed somebody to help keep him awake because our hauler driver had bailed on the, on, on the event. So it was him and Matt Wolper and Matt was the employee who in 2020 had a heart attack at Bristol dirt. That, that was Matt Wolper. Um, so Matt, Matt, Josh and I were all in the hauler and Josh just needed someone to keep him awake for the night while Matt slept. So I stay up and I am just talking, talking to Josh. We kind of hammer out our, our life events. And that's kind of when we really bonded and became friends as opposed to just, 
this kid who had wandered into his shop and kind of just been there. Um, so we end up blowing a tire and it's Labor Day, Memorial Day. I forget. It's one of those days where it's um, a holiday on Monday and I forget what holiday it was, maybe 4th of July, something like that. And uh, we end up getting stuck in some random town and Josh and I decided to go to Chuck E. Cheese and hang out. <laughs> and like it's a bunch of, you know, eight to 11 year old kids. And then it's just me and NASCAR craftsman truck series driver at the time, I guess it was Camper World. Josh Rayum hanging out and having a good time. And like that's uh, that event is like really where we built this this foundational relationship that led to our friendship. And uh, it's it's pretty crazy to think about how Chuck E. Cheese has led to my NASCAR career. <laughs> it is. There's so there's so many great stories and so many, you know, things that you can look back on and like, man, like this really kind of kickstarted this or something like yeah. that. Kind of like yeah, as far true. as you know, the outback deal that you had. Um, you know, it's it started with with a tweet. And I'm sure I'm sure there were little mini things here and there. Like I'm sure before that, even you were like, you know, wow, I'm, you know, if Outback could sponsor a, a car, sponsor my car, her truck, you know, this would be so cool. And so kick starts with that tweet. All of a sudden, down the road, boom, they're the primary sponsor on your truck for the Bristol Night Race. So kind of like how how did that deal? You know, because I'm personally interested because we've had conversations on on my fantasies uh, with companies being on race cars. How how does that deal come about? um as far as like really making it official from just a tweet where you're like you know hey this is me i'm working for outback um and also having a dream of racing um in nascar to boom you are racing in a nascar truck sponsored by outback you know under pretty much for, for josh Riome. um how's that how did that all come full circle officially yeah so i've loved part of the dynamic that people don't talk about enough is how much i have loved outback steakhouse my whole life like when my dad and I were growing up in racing, um, like even when I was like 12, 13, 14 in kart racing, we would find an Outback Steakhouse. And every time after a race weekend, end, we get the Outback special. And which is a six, it was a six ounce sirloin. I get a cooked rare. I get a house salad, lettuce, cheese, and croutons, and a load of baked potato, no chives. Every time, every race weekend, my dad would do the same thing. Um, if we went to a store that had a clam chowder, I'd get the clam chowder. And, uh, and, and like for my birthdays, my dad would be like, oh, let's go to some nice restaurant, you know, celebrate your birthday. I'm like, dad, save the money, baby. I want Outback Steakhouse. That's where we're going. And that's, I loved it. I loved it through and through. Um, you can't beat a blooming onion. And like that, that foundation right there already leads to a perfect pairing between sponsor driver. I love the company I'm representing thoroughly. I will endorse their product to the end of the earth. That's step one. Then I had been delivering pizzas and I got one too many speeding tickets off the job. Never got one on the job. They were all off the job. I used to do uh, <laughs> NASCAR driver speeding. It kind of makes sense. Um, and Domino's insurance policy would no longer cover me as a driver. They told me I could stay on working as an insider. Um, I decided that's not something I wanted to do if I was going to work for Domino's. I wanted to be as a delivery driver, which was a great college gig, by the way. Loved that job. Um, but at the end of the day, they're like, yeah, then we're going to need you to quit. I quit. I was never technically fired. Okay. They just told me I couldn't work as a delivery driver anymore. And I had to switch positions. So I said, listen, guys, thanks. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm like, what's the closest job to delivering pizzas I can find? Probably serving. 
what's my favorite restaurant? Outback Steakhouse. There was an Outback in Charlottesville at the time. Or there still is. I was just there four days ago for an appearance. Um, and um I ended up working at Outback. And this was in 2021, I think. So I've been there for at least a couple of years now, almost three, I think. Um, and then I started this sponsor relationship totally separate from that. NASCAR is going on. And I had mentioned to some of my my bosses at the time, like, hey. I do do this kind of thing that's sort of turning into something with NASCAR. I don't really know. And nobody really said anything until that Martinsville race where, you know, the race ended one o'clock in the morning, 1230. I get back to my apartment at 330 and I end up showing up for my 11 a.m. shift the next morning, ready to rock and roll. And it's a double. And uh, I, I think four o'clock rolls around right before dinner. And I'm like, man, like, and actually the, the specific circumstance was I had a difficult table who was not being very pleasant to me. <laughs> and I remember putting down their blooming onion and they complained to me about the quality of the blooming onion. So we got them new blooming onion. That's, that's how we roll, you know? Yep. And I remember thinking, man, I'm like, these people don't know that I was in a NASCAR race yesterday. <laughs> I'm like, here I am, you know, giving people their blooming onions and, and no one has any idea that I was on TV literally not even 24 hours ago. So I go up to this, we had this big board at the Charlottesville location that, that says um, some, you know, standard about Outback. And I take a picture of my thumbs up in front of it. And I take a picture of our truck from Martinsville and I post them and I run a beautifully crafted tweet. I don't look at my phone again because we get busy for dinner until I eat dinner myself at around eight o'clock. I'm like, holy crap, this thing is blowing up. So I sit down and I go find the, director of marketing for Outback and I tag her in a tweet at the bottom and lo and behold she sees it sends information down the chain of command to get to me I send it back up meet a marketing executive that I've been talking to ever since boom blammo there we go that's the story it spitballed from there and we ended up settling on the race that we should do is a race that's close somewhat to my home store in Charlottesville yeah um because, you know, we would like to do an appearance at a store that I've been at before in my life. And we would like to do a race day appearance. So we decided on Bristol, Tennessee. And um, that's kind of where the story the story lies. And that's kind of how we ended up with, with Outback Steakhouse on a race car. Um, yeah, pretty crazy. Pretty crazy, if I do say so myself. I have a poster that I got to keep from one of the appearances that's like meet our athlete mate. And it's a picture of my face on an Outback truck. I'm like, wow, that's crazy that that some people came to Outback Steakhouse to say hello to me. Like, that's pretty nuts. So I know I was seeing that. I was like, meet Stephen Malau. I was like, man, he's doing meet and greets and everything. Yeah, I was like, we did three of them. And one of the crazy, one of the craziest things, um, is that we. Did a Food City appearance, which if you follow NASCAR, you know who Food City is because they've been sponsoring the Bristol. It's the Food City 500 a lot of times at Bristol. Um, and Food City is based in Bristol. So when they saw we got an Outback deal, I, I, one of my other sponsors, Luba Bella Winery, which love to plug all the sponsors who support me, um, had actually got me in touch with one of their marketing directors because Luba Bella has a wine deal with, with Food City. And um, they're like, you should do this. They're like, they'll they'll set you up. And I'm like, cool, I can give out Bloomin' Onions. I'm at this food city giving out Bloomin' Onion cards. And I looked down at my phone because I'm getting a call. 
It's from an Atlanta number that I don't recognize. I decline it, goes to voicemail, and I get a voicemail. And I don't look at it till after I'm in the appearance. Turns out it is the CEO and president of Outback Steakhouse calling me to wish me good luck. I'm like, holy crap, I just declined the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. I'm like, I am going to kick myself if he doesn't answer my next phone call. <laughs> but he did. He picked up. We talked for like 15 minutes about, about racing and this and that. And it was unbelievable. I'm like, that is nuts that the CEO president of the company that I love gave me a phone call and said, good luck, man. We appreciate you. Like, it's it's great. I And he had told me that he had seen a lot of the press that had gone out and was you know, like he didn't, you know, he was very proud to be able to do this for one of their employees. And that's the thing with Outback Steakhouse. It is it is a a big family, I feel like. And, I, and I've always felt at home. And I can only obviously speak for the working environment for the three stores I've been in. But all three of the stores I've been in have a very positive working environment. All of my bosses have been awesome. They've all been so supportive of the stream. And so far, everybody I've interacted with at the corporate level has been the same way. And that really makes me feel good about the company that I work for and about the fact that I've loved and patronized their company for so many years. Um, and, and, I, and I said this to everyone, like I, I would keep working and keep eating it out back even if they didn't sponsor me. So um, that is what it is. That's how I feel about Outback Steakhouse. I don't even remember what question we were on and how we got this far down the rabbit hole. Sometimes <laughs> I just start talking and I don't know when to stop. So I'll leave it. You, you guide the interview, baby. Tell me what's next. Well, that's how good podcasts work, man. That's what, that's what we're all here for. I'm yeah. Like, right. Right. Podcasts, <laughs> and you know, sometimes guests come on, they're like, what format are we running? I'm like, dude, we're just hopping on here. We're just going to have a conversation. You know, dude, we're just, talk. yeah. It's yep. going to turn into something interesting and that's what the people want, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that is great. And the thing is, like, I think in NASCAR, Outback was one of its staple sponsors. You know, people always knew Kevin Harvick's Outback car um, and always saw, you know, hey, if he gets a top, I think, what what was it, like a top 10, you get a free bloom onion on Mondays or something like that. Oh, yeah. I was locked in on that deal. I was yeah. in. I was, was waiting for, was waiting for Harvick. To get, Kevin Harvick, they, they actually gave me, like, probably close to a thousand of these that I have to try and give out to people. Cause obviously I think we had established that the top 10 is off the table. So they gave me a bunch of these to give out. Stephen Malazzi branded blue moon onions. And I, I think I tweeted out yesterday. Hey, if anybody wants a hero card, request one. And I will send you a free blue moon onion. So we're, we're still working the Outback PR, even like, even in, even after the race, we're going to keep digging on this Outback PR stuff and make sure that they get every, every damn dime's worth of their uh sponsorship deal with me and um i hope to bring them back on next year for a race or two that would be that would be the ideal situation for sure that would be awesome and i know i i had that conversation with you um you know even before this was all announced i think this was months ago where i was saying you know obviously you know some people know how i am now you know over at chick-fil-a we're gonna chick-fil-a yep. that's, that's my second job just like just like good old amir um we're, working at chick-fil-a and so you know, I've been gunning, you know, waiting to pull the trigger because, you know, our operator over at our three stores that I work for that I manage at, 
Um, the guy above me, our operator, is a huge NASCAR fan. He's a huge Martin Trix Jr. fan, I should say. But he's a huge NASCAR fan. He's a historian, you know, big Daryl Waltrip historian I got. He just gave me a whole bunch of stuff. He gave me uh, – he went to Bristol. He actually was at Bristol um, watching the races. Um, and he got, like, a Kevin Harvick program for me because he know Harvick's, like, my childhood favorite driver. Um, and he got me some of those from his last year. So um, he, he was there uh, cheering you on. Um, and so I think I sent him something about your deal, um, just to kickstart it. And we had talked about it a little bit back in February when I went to Atlanta, the corporate headquarters over there at Chick-fil-A. And I'm like, look, man, like, you know, Chick-fil-A hasn't sponsored a car. They have before, but you know, it was like one time and it's been a while. And I was like, you know, we can get something together, you know, me, you, we partner up, uh, you know, we get with Chick-fil-A corporate, do something in, in the Florida area. Cause there's a, there's a big old Chick-fil-A right outside Daytona International Speedway. Yep. Um, there's a big old outback steakhouse right outside that <laughs> and there is too and i've been i've been to both of them and <laughs> you man, know what so, i'm here february oh, yeah. february 24 <laughs> february february 24 so i'm saying my big dream is like you know what i got the connections in the garage we can make something happen we find you know the get the right corporate people around this you know that's where where the money is um and we build something and we make it happen. Daytona 24. I don't know what exactly it would be, um, but I'm trying to I'm trying I'm trying to gun for that to have Chick-fil-A either on a race car, part of a team, something like that. Um, I told you my ultimate fantasy is running one race and retiring, getting 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 ARCA approved for the Let ARCA me tell you something. race. That is that is my dream, too. And apparently when you do one race, you can't just give up after one. You have to do five and then five might turn into 10. And then before you know it, you somehow end up in a, in a full-time ride and you're like, holy crap. Well, man, if you can find, if you can look, if you can find an, an Arca or truck ride, we'll figure something out. I'll, um, yeah. We could, we could both run in the Arca race in 2024 and get her done. I mean, we'd take, it just oh, takes, baby. it takes two to make a tandem draft. So but the biggest problem with, with all of it is, is you have to find money to do the races where there is no advertising value. Yeah. And like, and when you're doing your late model events, this is where all of my money went and why I had like a lot of the times outside of St. Louis sponsors have covered at least half or more of my expense to race. Um, which by the way is much smaller than, than most expenses to race. Like, you know, there are some people spending 150 grand a race on a truck race. Um, but even so, I've been very fortunate with the sponsors I have networked to cover a lot of my expenses for racing in the truck series. Like I said, outside of St. Louis, where obviously I sold my car and that was the big story. Um, but the problem is not that. The problem is finding money. Because if you dig hard enough, you can have a, a Spencer Boyd-ass career and really find money to get to the racetrack, run around, ride around, not wreck shit, and and make, make a good living off of just finding that type of financial commitment the problem comes in when you have to get your licensing like you have to build the experience and the learning on the lower levels like late models or or even arc is problematic um because you know even to get to the arc race can cost you 20 25 grand and it's crazy that it's that kind of money um to do these lower level events because there's not really sponsorship value so when you have to get approved, I think I dropped every dime I had, which after COVID, I started with, I think, 15 or 16 um, before COVID happened. I invested it all, and I ballooned that to almost 100. 
I blew it up every every cent just to run late model races at the level that I did. There are late models out there that are tens of thousands of dollars a race to run. If you want to go win the car store or something, it's it ain't cheap. You know, you're gonna spend a a crap ton of money to get race winning equipment. That's why I have so much respect for guys like Landon Huffman. Um, I don't know if you know Landon. Yeah, I don't know if anybody watching knows Landon. Landon Huffman's one of my favorite people to to interact with him in the race world because he is a he's a generational racing guy. His dad won a bunch of championships at or won at least a championship at Hickory. He's now doing it too. And Landon works on his own crap. That's his that's his that's his gig, man. Landon just keeps his stuff clean, goes out there. He's smart enough with race cars to work on his own junk, and he's a truly talented guy. And like other than people who can buy rides, Landon Hoffman's the dream. Like that's the guy who knows what he's doing. That's a guy who I could pull forward racing, knowing that he works his ass off for what he has. And I love, I love the impact he has in the late model community. Um, but the problem is it's so expensive to have these rides in late models, and there's just no advertising value. It's so difficult to really find money that covers your expense to get race winning equipment. That's the reality of it. Um, so yeah, I'd say your biggest hurdle is probably that, probably getting approved to do ARCA. After that, man, it's you can you can figure it out. I know you can. I know you've got this networking down. I know, I know you do. So yeah. Yeah, I, I can tell that'll be a, a harder process than a lot would imagine. But that's why I like to ask questions and see. I'm like, okay, what would you know that approval process look like? Because I mean, you see, well, yeah, majority of the I mean the approval process for say racing one race at Arca at Daytona, even anyone listening that would be aspiring to do something like you have done and what I'm, you know, just fantasizing in my head. Um, you know, getting approved for one Arca race at Daytona. Cause I think a lot of people were on the impression. I think I was for a little bit where it was like, okay, it's all you got to do, run the Arca test at Daytona, run six laps and you're good. But I don't think that's all, is it? So with Arca, I I, I honestly don't know because I've never done Arca. I've made it kind of a goal of mine to um not to skip arca but to not spend money in arca um especially because of how difficult it is to find those resources um would i would i race arca now yeah if i could find the money i I would love to get some practice in arca the biggest value arca at this point is the fact that they have extensive practice sessions and my biggest qualm with nascar right now the Cup Series, fine. There's nobody racing in Cup who needs 50 minutes of practice, I don't think. Although it would be beneficial. I think all the drivers would love to have 50 minutes of practice. Yeah. Um, but especially in like the Truck Series, why are we doing 15, 20-minute practice sessions? Like, there are people in the Truck Series who need, me included, who need those 50 minutes. Like, that would be awesome to have that level of practice on a racetrack. Because I find myself going into each of these tracks and, and not figuring out the racetrack until the end of stage two sometimes. Sometimes even later. Bristol, I don't know that I ever figured out. I wish I had a 50 minutes of practice. So the value of ARCA is the fact that you get these extended practice sessions where you can really fine-tune your abilities as a race car driver. Um, In terms of what it takes to get approved, I think you have to have some type of resume. I don't think you can just run no late model races or no stock car races and be like, hey, ARCA time, I'm going to run the test. But I don't know what the requirements are for the test. So maybe if you go into the test, you're like, yeah, 
you can make it look like you're really I don't think there are because like if i remember there was i think there's been multiple teams that have done this but i've seen like i think it was the most the one i saw like a few years ago was like willie mullen's team and they were like hey like we're offering free rides in our car at daytona just pay us x amount of money and you can run like 10 laps in the test or something like that by yourself like literally people can just pay and run in that architect so that's why i'm sitting here thinking like literally i think anybody can just hop on in there and i mean i know you know charles crawl and i could even ask him really what all the deets are because he'd know um but yeah. it's just kind of funny when i saw that i was like can you really just and um and when we were in uh we were in charlotte back um last year around may um <laughs> i there was a, a sheet an application sheet outside the arca hauler i took a picture of it i'll always save it and i'll always remember it because you know we love Arca. We love the Arca series. We know there's a lot of jokes that can be made about it, but it's all in good fun. We know everybody in the Arca series is, you know, working their ass off and, you know, we love everybody oh, yeah. in that organization. Um, but you know, it, it can be the butt of a joke sometimes. And so we roll up to the hauler and there's literally a sheet that just says Arca driver, like interest form or application form or something like that. <laughs> you just fill out your information, send it in. I was like, what? yo, I was like, I turn around, I look at, um, Artez, um who i was with and i was like yo we going arca racing boys yeah. I was like, all we got to do is just fill this paper out and so it was um that that was funny but i i don't know i mean i think um i feel like the, the truck application the truck approval process is probably t- 10 times harder than arca i would assume for trucks i would imagine because there's no there's no like test you can do there's it ain't like as convenient as the arca test like for trucks you got to probably have the resume that you had right yeah, and, and honestly, even my resume probably wasn't quite what had been expected. My my approval was hugely conditional in mid-Ohio. Like we I the biggest concern I had in the garage after practice was that they were gonna pull my approval. Um, but I think NASCAR agreed that it wasn't really our fault that we crashed. They read that, they read that article. Oh, they saw the Toby Christie article. <laughs> uh and obviously the guys at NASCAR aren't stupid. They they know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, so um props to them for letting me letting me do that race. And I I don't think we were I don't think we looked like we really didn't belong. Stage one was rough, but we also had something wrong with the truck at first. Um and I think people were like, Oh, then well then you were slow in stage two as well. But in stage two, we also had scuffed tires on, so we were a little slower. Um but stage three, I mean, up until the very last lap, we were probably in front of five or six trucks in the lead lap. Um, and then we got freaking punted by my teammate, which was really frustrating. Um, but who was 32, 34 laps down, something ridiculous like that. I don't know what the hell he's racing us for. Um, but like, and then you look at it and you're like, okay, 22nd, whoop the freaking do. I was RBR's best finish for the entire second half of the season. In my debut race, and I think NASCAR was like, okay, yeah, he didn't have the resume that a lot of these kids who have come up and through the ranks have. Yeah, he's pretty inexperienced, but I think he shows that he's he can he can belong on these circuits, and then he should be here. Martinsville, I think we did a nice job too, right? Like, um, didn't cause any problems. We got laughed. We were out of the way. We did fine. We we were faster than a few trucks who were there. We made a few passes even. Um. Same deal at Gateway, right? Like, we had an issue. We acted correctly during the issue. We pulled right off the racetrack onto an access lane, so we were off the racing line with the battery problem. Went back out 13 laps down, stayed out of the way of the race. 
Um, and we were again faster. I think at one point we we could have passed a pack consisting of Timmy Hill and Tony Bryden right up there with and Josh Hacker. We were up there with all those guys racing, but what was the point of passing them? You know what I mean? Like, why yeah. are we gonna 13 laps down? Why are we gonna pass anybody? Pocono totally belonged. Not nobody questioned it. I mean, we avoided an accident. We we beat up five or six trucks on raw speed. Um, had a great day. And then Bristol, I think, was the first time it really looked bad. Like, and we were great. We were back there with, with Greg Van Ost. Like him and I were having a hell of a battle for, for the slowest truck on the racetrack. Um, but you know, I, I think it's all part of the learning curve. We are not in in A-tier equipment. We are we are budget racing here. Um, and I think for what it's worth, Greg is a guy who has a lot of racing experience. And I think to, to compete with him is, is not a terrible thing. Um, and we still have a lot to learn on the circuit. So the truck series approval process to answer your question more concisely is indeed very strict. Um, I've known people who have more experience than me who've been denied and, at the end of the day, it all comes down to the conditional circumstance of what you're trying to do. I think picking Mid-Ohio as our starting race was a large reason for our approval. Um, it's a really difficult track to be in the way at. It's huge. It's two point something miles. Like it's, it's a minute and a half long. It is a big, big racetrack. And I think my road racing background in carts and, and obviously the experience I have doing that was a big part as well. Um, but at least in terms of ovals, it's a pretty strict approval process. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, definitely. That My next question for you was going to be, um, you mentioned your glorious battle with Greg Van Ost. I was going to ask in all of your truck series starts, what has been like, is there, is there a, a person, a driver that you've had like the best battle with on track or something like that? Or is there anything that you can recall? My favorite battle is probably Josh Ream Pocono. Um, I love I love racing Josh. I think it's it's very competitive between us. And obviously, anytime Josh is on the track, he's going to be incomparable equipment to me. And with over 100 NASCAR starts, he's a great benchmark. Um, but I had a good battle with uh, God. I've had a couple good ones with the 04. I had a good one with Mason Massey back at Martinsville. I had a really good one at Pocono with Spencer Boyd. Um, you know, I've, I've had some good ones out there. I've had some fun. Um, <laughs> Greg Van Elst at, at Bristol was kind of just sad for me. Uh, him and I were just so far off the pace. I got to imagine he feels the same way. That was a disappointing run. And and the man has had a brutal start to his NASCAR career, yeah. it, it, at least NASCAR National Series career. Yeah. Um, he does not deserve deserve that start that he's beginning. He's a hardworking dude. Um. And you know he's had a he's had a difficult year so far outside of winning Daytona, so I hope I hope those guys over at Youngs in the twenty truck you know give give them something to race with, especially this week in Talladega. Obviously, he's shown he could win at a super speedway. So exactly, yeah, I, I feel I feel for him because it sucks. Because I mean, his year started like on bro was on top of the world. I mean, I watched him win at Daytona. His crew was ecstatic, and he was ecstatic, and. Now this year, it just it sucks, kind of how it spiraled downhill, and how you know it's like you know in racing that one thing you know can't uh, you know on track as far as can't you know make your entire year. You know, unfortunately, there was there are definitely yeah. still some hardships for him 
for him and the team. And then, you know, they kind of, when they got wrecked and they got dumped at Charlotte and Arca um, and then having to miss out on a few of the races and not being able to really run for, um, you know, as well in points as they would have wanted. It it does stink. I mean, at least they do have that, you know, Daytona win to fall back on. I know his, his starts with Alpha Prime haven't gone as, as how he wanted. And now Young's Motorsports, they haven't run as well. So it stinks. But yeah, great, great Greg Van, Van out. We all know he's a hard worker and he's a good dude. And hopefully, hopefully he'll be able to find his footing by the end of the year. And now, yeah, the truck series rolls into Talladega. Um, you know, we can talk about the truck series a little bit just so because you've been running a little bit in that series this year. What are what are your expectations for Talladega this weekend? How many how many trucks are we are crashing? Who do we think is gonna win? What are we looking for? 16 trucks crash. I think I think 13 end up not running at the end. So I think 16 are three are three or four are really damaged, but keep going. 13 are DNFs. Um who do I think wins? I'm going to put Zane. I'm going to say, got to represent the Ford boys. I think Zane wins. Um, Ford's just built different on, on super speedways. I always feel like, especially Talladega. And I feel like in terms of racing IQ, staying out of trouble, Zane Smith is probably one of the best in the truck series. And he's definitely one of the wiser drivers in the truck series. Uh, now, who do I think? I don't even know who else I would put to win. I'm gonna, yeah, you know, I'm gonna go with that. I Ben Ben Rhodes is always a a, a threat of these race races. Um, he's stolen a couple from a few underdogs at Daytona. We know um, the 25 truck won last year, but who the hell knows who's? I don't even know who's in it this race. So yeah, um, I'm looking at. Yeah, we don't even know who's in the twenty-five this way. I'm looking at the uh the rosters post. It looks like we don't even have a driver for the one track on car. Corey Roper's in the show. Corey Roper. Uh how many trucks know. are going? Do we know? What's up? How many trucks are going to Talladega? Uh I would assume it's gonna be over thirty-six. Uh, cause that looks like you got the ten truck, Jennifer Joe Cobb's there, the twenty-eight, Brian Duzat is racing. So I'm assume I'm assuming there's gonna be DNQs. There's gonna be people going home. Um, but we'll just uh We'll have to find out who those are. But, yeah, looking down the list, don't know who's in the 25 truck. Uh, 34 truck is going. Brett Moffitt running that running that uh, throwback truck for front row. So there'll be two front row trucks, probably be helping that 38 yep. uh, of Zane Smith. So that's cool. Um, but, yeah, man, looking forward to what is going to happen this weekend at Talladega. For you, it's been uh, definitely a whirlwind of a year. Uh, really cool to see. Um and then, so what, what do you think, you know, looking at next year, 2024, I don't know if your year's over yet or whatsoever behind, behind the wheel. Um, but what are you looking forward to for next year? What do you think your goals are? What are you going to try to accomplish? I know you list off a few tracks for me, um, you know, Daytona, Talladega, stuff like that. Is there anything else you got in the pocketbook? Well, that's what I'd like to say. I'll be racing at Talladega. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this I, weekend I in the 25. Uh, I wish. Um, <laughs> Yeah, right in the in the twenty five. Let me reach out to Rackley right now. See what they got going on. Um, at the end of the day, um, I think this year's probably over. I got a lot going on with law school, and it's just kicking my ass. Yeah. Um, probably next year the goal is to do Daytona or Talladega, yeah. ideally. Um, I would love to keep doing two or three races a season. I think that's a reasonable expectation. 
and uh, we'll see what we can what we can get out of uh, this Outback deal and see what it'll spiral into. Hopefully, a few more partnerships with other companies and hopefully a continued relationship with Outback. Um, we really got to see, man. It's one of those things where the career of a small time racing driver, you you go with the wind. Exactly. Well. I'm I'm looking forward to what's ever next for you. And if you're in Daytona and Speed Weeks, hopefully I'll be there too. Um, well, I will be there no matter what. But you know, we'll see. I guess what I'm doing. Um, yep. but, um yeah, looking forward. I, I know a lot of people that are watching the show. I've been glad to to hear your story and what's been going on. Um, anything else you want to add before we wrap it all up? Uh, yeah. If you want some blooming onion Outback Steakhouse merch, StephenMalaziGear.com. Check it out. Gotta plug the merch. I got oh, that, baby. Oh, does he have it? No, me. Oh, got baby, the, he's got the 22 stacking Denny's merch. You know, it's uh, crazy. You know, it's crazy. Yesterday, I went thrifting. I went thrifting and I saw these purple pants and I picked them up. Wow. That is going to be a hell of an outfit. Yeah, we could get real crazy with the uh, with the, with the purple going on. But this is the only, I just <laughs> want you to know, I have, a, I have a very colorful closet. I'm a man of, of colors and different wardrobes. This is the only purple shirt that I have. So I'm not, I think my, my colors are basically gray, black, and Eagles green. And I don't really own any other colors. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I will tell you another fun fact. Um, I don't even think it was planned, but, um, I'm, I'm five months into a pretty solid uh, relationship right now. This is what I wore on my first date. Wow. Wow. So I, I, the officiant at your we, wedding we were then. talking about it the other day and I didn't even think about it. And she when I bought these pants, I was out shopping with her and I was like, oh, this matches the shirt that I wore on my first date on our first date. And I didn't even think about it. It was the Stephen Malazzi um, shirt. I'm kind of honored. Look at that. I, too. So, so, so what you're saying is the theme of the story is buy a shirt from Stephen and you will find true love. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That is there we that go. Is, that is the marketing tool i'm putting out here and on a podcast that, full that, of marketing tips that kind of feel yeah yeah <laughs> from the outback man himself so man uh thank you for so much for coming on the pace labs podcast uh being our third official guest on here um it was a great show wishing wishing the best of luck for you for everybody listening thanks for tuning in and we will see you all next week listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v 
on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.